All right, so you, we've had some exposure this week to a, just a number of different topics, haven't we? We've looked at, we've looked at uh, stress and depression and nutrition. We've looked at obesity and diabetes. We've looked at a number of different issues and, and the philosophy of wellness. I think that's a really important topic of the philosophy of reaching others and how we do that and create an atmosphere for soul winning. And today we just want to tie it all together to help us to understand how to actually get the, this beautiful vehicle out of the driveway and to its destination. Amen. That's what we're not very good at. We're really good at holding nice programs. All of these people here, we're all good at holding nice programs. We all have nice materials. That's why we were invited to the NAD. And, uh, and yet, just holding programs is not going to give us the results that we want in terms of personal goals for the participants in the lifestyle program. And it doesn't give us souls for Jesus Christ in the number. Because remember, we're told that when we do this work His way, our work will be highly successful. Amen. And that many will accept the, three, the special truths for this time. And aren't we here to put forward the special truths for this time? There's someone that visited our class today who let, she's not in our class today, but she, she visited our class one day and I had a chance to talk with her. She left the church years ago and now she's reconsidering, coming back, heartbroken, people disappointing her. And yet we don't join the church because of people and we're not going to leave because of people. What is the chaff to the wheat? God has given us wheat and we want to know how to win souls in a wise way. And I will tell you from a health educator perspective that studies show that if we want results in terms of personal lifestyle goals, you have to keep people with you for at least 18 months. 18 months. And also, if you want to have people have a solid relationship with Jesus Christ and, and have a solid, solid, con solid uh, grounding to enter the church. It's again, the statistics show 18 months. If people are with you for 18 months, they become more grounded. We're going to see how this works in our second PowerPoint production. So evangelism is a process, not an event. And guess who needs the most preparation for this process? We do. Church members do. And I left the business of scolding church members a long time ago. It doesn't win anybody to run around scolding people. I don't make a big distinction between members and non-members. I want to treat everyone like they're a guest, like they're a very special person. This is really important because people can feel this. And Ellen White says, speak to the dead as though they are living. <laughs> And so that's what we do, and, uh, and it works. And so what we have here on this table, and I'm going to run through it real quickly with you before we do our PowerPoint, is a way to engage church members in the process of soul winning. In fact, I think what I'm going to do is I'm going to wait until after the break, uh, but suffice it to say that true 
health ministry, or I call it wellness. We have wellness teams because wellness encompasses in, the, in, a, perceptive, in a perceptive way in people's minds more than just food. When you say health ministries, people think they want me to be vegan. I don't want to do this. I don't want to go and be with these people. And so it, it automatically it can create a prejudice. We don't mean for it to, but it does. But a wellness program, I like what Dr. Handyside said. Women's ministry is aimed at who? Women. Women. Men's ministry is aimed at? Men. Young adults are for? Young adults. young adults. Well, then who's, who is health ministry for? Who's your target group? So, so wellness intervention should be a component of every department in the church. We should be working with every department in the church. And one of the first things that we need to learn is how to um, coalesce people under a vision. We remember what makes a disciple is different than what makes a teacher. A disciple is committed to a cause bigger than themselves. They've left the ranks of the concerned and they've joined the committed. How many of you are here because you've committed yourself to do something big? How many of you feel adequate to do it? How many, put your hand up if you feel absolutely ready and adequate. Wow. You feel adequate, ready, and ready to go? Just raring to go. You've got it all down. You've got the health thing. You know how to team build. You know how to lead. You've got all the information. You can answer every objection, hold an evangelistic meeting, raise money, market. You know how to get the church people on board, build teams. You got it all together? No. No. Okay, clarify. <laughs> but we are ready to do something bigger than ourselves, and we're going to watch God teach us. So we're going to begin today. I want you to think in two parts in this program today. Part of it is learning to do in-reach in the church. Part of it is learning to do outreach. Okay, and so what we're going to start with is a very, very interesting program, Answering the Call to Christian Leadership. Now, when you think of the word leader, what do you think? Vicki Griffin. No. <laughs> someone who takes charge. You think of someone who loves to be up front and speak. Somebody maybe a little bossy. You know, you think of this. This is what, and so most people, what do you think of? Just to be doing what you have to do. Amen. This woman knows what she's talking about. You know, I want to tell you. Being a leader is not, you know, if you say, I'd like you to be a leader of a group, people will say, ho, oh, ho, you know, I, I can't tell people what to do, and I, I don't like to be up front. That's the first thing they'll say. I don't like to be up front. Well, being a leader isn't necessarily being up front. You know, we all have one talent, and you know what that talent is? Influence. And influence is the greatest gift from God. And when you have influence then you become a leader. You are a leader. Whether we want to or not, we're all leaders. I will tell you, I took a speech class in college. I'm a very introverted person. If I could stay in my apartment and just read books and write and never see human beings, you know, I know this wouldn't be healthy for my personality, but I am a mole. And I took a speech class in college, and you know what the title of my speech was? The Joy of Knitting. 
Okay, so that wasn't God's plan for me. But if we humbly profess what we know, we will grow in grace and truth. So now today we're going to look at some principles of leadership. And in our second section, we're going to look at some, uh, some principles of team building. And then we'll have a group exercise. Okay, we're ready. Oh, I couldn't see why we didn't see. Okay, we're talking about answering the call to Christian leadership. How come this is a little blurry? Do you know how to fix this? What did I just do? Would you? This is open and closed. You did. Here it is. How's that? I think that's better. What I used to do if the thing was blurry, I'd say, you know, if you're eating too much sugar, the screen will appear blurry to you. <laughs> Can you get the light down for me a little bit? Okay, we're talking about answering the call to Christian leader. Oh, is this as down as we can get it? Do you, do you, do you want it to be? Okay. Oh, that's so much nicer. Is that okay with you? Oh, okay. Well, put it back on. It's all right. Okay. We're talking about answering the call to Christian leadership. Jesus said, I am the what? I am the light of the world. This is my personal PowerPoint of somebody you know, wants to have it to share and team build in their church, I'm willing to share it with you so you don't have to write everything down, okay? But Jesus then turns around and he says, you are the light of the world. Set your light on a lampstand that it may give light to all that are in the house. And what's the first and most important house? Remember, the house was built upon a rock and the rains came and the winds blew and the floods rose and beat upon that house. But it fell not because it was founded upon a rock. That's his church. And so God's people represent an amazing church. He ha this person that's not been attending church for four years, I told her, God has a denominated people. And he says, forsake not the assembling of yourselves, especially as you see that day. You know, we've got to learn how to love rascals. We're rascals, and God loves us. We've got to learn how to, we can't escape into the woods. God has a mission for his people. I like what Martin Luther said. He said, if you're not where the battle is, you're no soldier. And my tendency is to duck and hide. I don't know about anybody else around here. But uh, we can't do that. The church is God's gem polisher. He said, go and make disciples. Get committed to a vision that's bigger than you teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. That's why we don't separate the health message from soul winning and from truth teaching. Let's look at some snapshots of leadership. The cost of leadership, five laws of leadership, and leadership results. These are some quotes that I found very interesting when I read uh, this particular book on leadership. The function of leadership is to produce what? more leaders. I want to train people to take my place. I want for people to do not only what I do, but better than I do it. It thrills me to find people that know more than I do and are better than I am to do God's work. I want them to do it. 
Leadership is the capacity to translate vision into a reality. When you're a leader in, in terms of actually being in charge of a group, you're in charge of the vision. You're not in charge of doing everything, but you're in charge of guiding that vision and making it happen. Leaders are made, not born. It is not what happens to us that makes us leaders. It's what happens where? In us that makes us leaders. Look at the, the, the call of God to the great leaders in the Bible. What did Moses say when God called him? He said, ah, me? I can't even talk. What did Jeremiah say? I'm but a child. Why are you calling me? And when he called Amos, what did he say? I'm just a farmer. I'm just a farmer. Why are you calling me? And so most of the great leaders that God has used all throughout the work have never felt this gusto about it. They have felt the bigness of the call. And it's frightening. No man will make a great leader who wants to do it all himself or get all the credit for doing it. One thing that Evelyn is really good at, my colleague Evelyn, she's really good at talking me into something and making me feel like it's my idea. I've been working with her for 10 years, and I do not know how she does this. She is amazing. She's a gentle spirit. She doesn't argue. And I tell my friends, I say, that girl is Southern. She's sweet and kind and gentle, but she gets her way with me. I don't know how she does it. And she does it without destroying me. Such a gift. Such a gift. I told her, I said, if I told somebody you were tough as nails, they would not believe, they would not believe me, but you do get your way. Well, when we were editing this book, when we were editing the Living Free book, I'm very fact-oriented and analytical and, and all the hard facts. And, and it's like if you read the way I wrote it originally, you'd just want to jump off a bridge. I mean, it's very, very hard, like hitting the concrete. I don't write that way anymore because time has tempered uh, tempered this, but when Evelyn was going through and editing this book with me, she would read a paragraph and she would look up at me and she'd say, you think there's another way we can say this? <laughs> <laughs> and we literally changed every paragraph in the whole book. Now when I write magazines or tracks, I think, what would, how would Evelyn say it? Is this a valuable person? Yes. You don't destroy people that are different from you. You appreciate those differences. She appreciates my analytical abilities. You know, and I'll tell her once in a while, I'll say, you're smiling because you don't understand the situation. <laughs> <laughs> Ask the secret for success as the president of Yale, Dr. James Angle explained, grow antenna, not horns. Yes, we're going to see problems in the church. We're going to see rascals who aren't on board. And one of the worst mistakes I ever made when I first became a leader, I mean, I went from being at home, homeschooling my children for years and years and years. I stepped into being a department head with employees and a budget. I was in charge. And, and so it, it's just an amazing shift that took place. And so one of the first lessons that I learned is that you cannot walk into a boardroom or a church or a committee or a group of people that you want to recruit for your project. You cannot expect them to instantly buy into your vision. Oh, Vicki, that's just brilliant. God spoke to you. Do you want money? Do you want employees? Why, we'll all just rally around you, and we're going to do this because we instantly understand that you're led of God. 
I mean, look at Moses. From the moment Moses intervened in the first Hebrew squabble, he was attacked, he was berated, he was misjudged, his motives were miscalculated, and he had nothing but headaches until he died. And God gave him a vision. God gave Moses a vision of what he was supposed to do with this group of people that never ha really happened. I mean, he was crushed. He was disappointed in his every effort. I mean, so what? The Red Sea split, but how long does that last? You know, when you've got people constantly rebelling, flash mobs are not a new thing, are they? Didn't they happen? In, they were always ready to kill him. And what would he and his brother do? They'd fall on their face. They would, just, they, were, they would just go and fall on their faces. So the presence or absence of problems does not indicate necessarily that you're a poor leader. Leadership has a harder job to do than just choose sides. It must bring sides together. I tell you, my conference president, he is, he is a master at bringing sides together. Not in compromise, but just in teaching people how to listen. And, put, and George Washington said it best. When he, um, when he was 13 years old, he wrote a book called The Rules of Etiquette. And it's an amazing, it's an amazing book that he wrote as a child. And, uh, and he said most people have a lot more agreement than disagreement. And if you can bring the areas where people agree together, then you can create a vision and move forward and nurture people into an understanding. We expect people from ground zero to absolutely be on the same page, understand and think exactly the way we do, and have the same vision. But God may have placed somebody in your sphere for you to mentor and teach. And they may buck all the way, but that's because the Holy Spirit's working with them and they've never seen this before. My husband, when I would get upset with people, my husband would put his hands on my shoulders and he'd say, Vicki, true love seeks first to understand and then to be understood. And I'd say, oh, pfft, I don't know. <laughs> but he was right. You must unite with your constituents around a common cause and connect with them as human beings. And people that will gra gravitate into leadership positions are usually not people people. I'm, Evelyn, God put us together because Evelyn is a people person. I'm a project person. I want the bottom line. I want, the, I want to get the stuff done. I want to know what the program is. I want the information right. And Evelyn has that too. And I'm not anti-people. I love people. I visit with people. I visited with some people in here, haven't I? And I'm going to tell Evelyn. <laughs> but different strengths and people that end up running pack often are very insensitive they don't listen because their mind is on the project and it's not that they don't care but this is the part of the animal that they're working on so how wonderful it is to find someone my colleague in health ministries at Lansing Church is a people person all the way and I have to refrain myself from a natural frustration because she's not project oriented I'm thinking deadlines, when do we get the ad out? Do you have the wording right? Does it sound good? You know, and she's thinking, hi. <laughs> you know. <laughs> but this is a great blend. It's a great blend. A leader is one who knows the way, goes the way, and shows the way. The ability to keep a cool head in an emergency, maintain poise in the midst of excitement, and refuse to be stampeded are the true marks of leadership. Doesn't that remind you of Jesus? If we just will grow more like Jesus every day, then we're going to grow in our ability 
to be in very dicey situations and deal with problems. Leadership is the ability to hide your panic from others. The ability to hide your panic. There are three essentials to leadership. Humility, clarity, and courage. Yeah, if you don't know, if you can't articulate your vision, that's the problem with health leaders sometimes. Well, we want to have supper clubs. Won't that be fun? We want to get the health message out. Uh-huh. Well, what does that mean? What's your goal? What exactly do you want to, how many people do you want at meetings over how much time and do you want to bring them into a reaping event? And if so, how are you going to get them there? So we want to have tangible, how many people do you want from the church on your teams and how many do you expect them to recruit over an eight-month period? Clare, clarify what the goals are. Leaders toss their hat over the fence. Do you remember we talked about John Fitzgerald, John Kennedy's grandfather, when he was a little boy and he was dared and dared and dared to, to climb over that wicket fence? He finally tossed his hat over. Why? Because he would have to go get it. That's right. So what is the cost of leadership? Let's look at uh, the example of David and Goliath. David did not just have a problem with a big Philistine, 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 Apple, apple, with tomato, tomato. He recognized two problems. Goliath, there was a problem from without. He said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. So attacks come from the outside. You think you can, you can do this work? Why? You know, we're the American Dietetics Association, or we're the raw food people, or the hallelujah diet people. What makes you think in your little church you can have anything to say about health? But there were problems of demoralization within the church. Are we demoralized as God's people? Yeah, we don't understand what God wants to do for us. When Saul and all Israel, and by the way, Saul was head and shoulders taller than everybody in the army. He was, a, he was the giant of Israel. And yet when he was called, what did he do? He ran and hid. I think of that when I'm tempted to hide somewhere. When Saul and all Israel heard the words of the Philistine, they were what? They were dismayed and greatly afraid. That's right. David had other giants besides Goliath. He was lonely in his decision. He was the only one. He, had, he made a commitment, but he had no evidence. of what. But he had, he had some experience, didn't he? What was his prior experience? He had killed a lion and a tiger and a bear. Was it a tiger? A lion and a bear. That's right. Pardon? That's a Wizard of Oz. I'm sorry. Yeah, I, it's my background. I, uh, okay. He had commitment without evidence. <laughs> he had criticism from within, from his own family. Conflict from without. He had loneliness in his decision. When all the men of Israel saw the giant, they fled from him and were greatly afraid. David said to Saul, your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. He had never done it before. He had commitment without direct evidence. A champion came out from the armies of the Philistines and shouted to the ranks of Israel, why do you come out to draw up in battle array? He was threatening the whole church. Someone will always be there to remind you it has never been done. How can we do this? We're a small rural church. We don't have a budget. It has never worked. 
Health message never brings souls. People don't get back. You'll hear pastors tell you this, and they're right. And you'll say, Pastor, you're right. What does the Bible say? Agree quickly with thine adversary while they're out in the way with him. Okay, not that this person is an adversary, but we have conflicting point of view. Yes, you're right, Pastor, and that's precisely why I'm here today, to show you the way that this Cadillac can get out of the driveway. It has never worked. You are not qualified. No, but these materials are cutting edge, current, and credible. They will do the talking. Your motives are not right. The conditions are not right. How many of you know the story of Roger Bannister? Roger, Roger Bannister, I think, was born in 1927, if I'm not mistaken. He's British. And in 1954, medical textbooks and physiology books taught that it was impossible for the human frame to endure running a mile in less than four minutes, that the human machinery would just simply break down and that it was dangerous. Well, Roger Bannister decided that he wanted to run a mile in less than four minutes. He had many, many mistakes, disasters, and disappointments. But, oh, uh, can, you, can you do something about that? Just make that disappear. But on, on an Olympic day, uh, AAA University and Oxford had a track meet. And Roger Bannister ran a mile in three minutes and 59 seconds, and he did not die. Now, that isn't the most important miracle that occurred out of this. The most important thing that occurred out of this is that within the next couple of years, more than 200 people ran a mile in less than four minutes. Why do you think that is the case? Somebody had done the impossible. And when one person does the impossible, other people are going to catch the vision. Now, criticism from within. Saul said to David, you're not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him. You're just a youth. You've never done this before. He's been a warrior from his youth. Eliab, his oldest brother, why have you come down? Now his motives are questioned. With whom have you left those few sheep? Can you feel the sarcasm in the wilderness? I know your insolence and the wickedness of your heart, for you've come down in order to see the battle. And the people answered the same thing. So this contagion of negativity began to filter throughout the ranks. David's response to discouragement, he had a purpose and a solution bigger than himself. So the problem was small in comparison. He practiced positive thinking and positive faith. Let me see if I pass... Here, I might have missed this. No, okay. You come to me with a sword and a spear and a javelin, but I come in the name of the Lord, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have taunted. So this is God's work. And if he's laid something on your heart, it doesn't mean you're going to perform it flawlessly, but it means you're willing. It means you're willing to go forward and do and dare and learn for the Lord. David did not say this giant is too big to kill. He said this giant is too big to, to miss. That's right. And then he rallied the troops. That's so much for the problem from without. It was perception and attitude. Thus David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. We use what we have. You know, the Lord just placed a simple rod in Moses' hands. And he worked miracles with that rod. 
We may have a simple budget. Uh, I talked to a lady today. She, and not that we advise this way of doing things, but just she and two other little ladies have 45 people a month coming to a little healthy lunch every week. Nobody from the church has ever come, including the pastor. But you know what the Lord did? He got rid of the pastor. Now there's a new pastor. God loves little old ladies who hold luncheons for 45 people. And he will work. David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and stone. He struck the Philistine and killed him. And then what happened? What happened within? The men of Israel and Judah show, rose and shouted and pursued the Philistines. So little successes will bring greater successes. Most of the time, God's people need to be rallied under a cause and infused with enthusiasm. That's why Jesus sought every day to inspire all with whom he came in contact with hope, hope and a vision. We fail not because of big problems, but because of small purposes. We usually have to charge Goliaths by ourselves. Small successes lead to greater successes. Success for most people comes after someone else has done the impossible. Let's just take a short interlude here and talk about this Get in your groups. And we're only going to take a minute. I just want to take at little junctures. Where are the tablets? This can be from your personal church or from a hypothetical church or just something you know is common knowledge. But get, get into your five groups and, and think of one or two uh, challenges from within or from without and how you would meet that obstacle. Um, and so now we'll go on and then we'll take a break. Steps to success. Yeah, we're right on time here. Leaders lead with a vision. It has to be clear in your own mind. A commitment, you're in it for the long haul. You've got to have a purpose that you want to accomplish. Get your teams together and always more than one. If you have 10 people that are willing to do something, make it, make it two teams of five. So you create redundancy. What does redundancy mean? Backup systems. Just knowing that there's another communication secretary, another set of cooks, another team leader, it creates breadth in the program. And you bring ingenuity and new ideas. The more separate columns you have, uh, the more ingenuity and innovation and security you build into your program. And then everybody isn't doing everything all the time. Our, our prior health ministries director, she did everything. She did the ads. She did the cooking. She ran the program. She figured out what people were going to do. She did the decorating. She did every. She was the welcome host. And guess what? When she finally burned out. She burned out. Out, put on 50 pounds and it took me four months to get her to even show up at a meeting and uh, when I when she walked through the doors I threw my arms around her I said we love you we need your wisdom but we don't need you to do anything we just want you to rest and enjoy because it's payback time for you the poor woman is so burned out it almost ruined her health we don't want to do that to anyone so every time a person puts an idea across, he'll find 10 people who thought about it, but they only thought about it. A leader puts an idea into action. So manage your ideas so that you actually can follow through with them. Some personalities love ideas, but actually the action part is boring. It's just plain hard work at times. Isaiah had a vision from God. 
God stopped Isaiah in his tracks with a vision. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne, high and lifted up. And when he saw that vision of God, what did he say to himself? Woe is me. I am undone. I am a man of unclean love. Sometimes I have this imaginary, like I open myself up and I say, Lord, I'm just flea-bitten. How on earth can you ask me to do anything? But Isaiah went from woe is me to here am I. Because you keep your eyes on the Lord, not on the problems. He saw a holy God. He saw himself as he was. And that's a good thing. Working on a big project is going to show you who you are. And at times it's going to be very, very upsetting. Because <clears throat> others are going to see you too. He saw others as God did. And don't we need that in the church? We can get so nasty when people disagree with us. He allowed God to change him. And he began to stretch. Here am I. From woe is me to here am I. He went from perplexed to prepared. Not only did God show him his problems, he also showed him his potential. Every one of you has problems. And if you allow God to show you your problems, he will bring you into your potential. I praise God for that. The value of a vision is that it encourages you to give up at any moment all that you are in order to receive all that you can become. Amen? It's scary. Always bear in mind, non-commitment, that your own resolution to success is more important than any other thing. One thing I learned being in a leadership position, I just learned it recently, is my co-leader, because she's so sensitive and because she's a people person, if I spill my own fear and discouragement and disillusionment, how nobody's listening, I don't get the money, why did they cancel this? You know, if I do that to her, she's just like a violet. She just cr is crushed. So I have to take my whatever, grumbling, fears, humanity, over being overwhelmed. When my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock. But I don't want to be a Pollyanna. I mean, have you ever been around a Pollyanna? Nothing's ever a problem. Everything's always fine. God's going to bless no matter what. No, it does, doesn't work that way. I mean, some things are just plain awful. So it's one thing to say, you know, this is awful. We have a real challenge. But we can go to our God with these challenges. And he will help us to work through them and keep human beings intact. To bring oneself to a frame of mind and the proper energy to accomplish things that require plain, hard work continuously. Now, some people may have plain, hard work continuously because they have poor planning, poor organization, and poor team building. We don't want to do that. Now, doing hard work does not burn people out as much as feeling like what you're doing isn't making a difference. Now, we don't want to overwork anyone, but there will be seasons of work where no one recognizes what you do, no one appreciates it, nobody understands it. That's just the package. That's part of the package. It's the one big battle that everyone has. When this battle is won for all time, then everything is easy. When we understand that hard, unglamorous, you know, I don't like having to go shake the bushes talking about these things. I would rather the angels just impress people. I don't like doing it. It's the, my least favorite thing in the whole world, I think. And so, but it's, it's part of my job. It comes with the territory. So everything that you do as a leader is not going to be fun. External versus internal commitment. This is important. And when I teach obesity classes, 
diabetes classes. An external commitment relies on convenience and circumstances. Oh, I exercise when the weather's nice. You know, if the food's right in front of me and drops from heaven, I'll, I'll, make a, I'll eat a salad. Are you kidding? You have to have a commitment. Yes, when I get over the flu, I'm going to start exercising again because it's not, am I going to exercise, but when and where. An internal commitment relies on a decision, not circumstances. Until one is committed, there's hesitancy, the chance to draw back, and you will have people quit on you. Concerning all acts of initiative, the moment one definitely commits oneself, providence moves. I have seen this. You saw that happen? That's why you're here, isn't it? And you're going home with two kids. Yes. All sorts of things occur to help one that would never otherwise have occurred. A whole stream of events issue from the decision, raising all manner of unforeseen incidents and meetings and material assistance, which no man could have dreamed would come his way. My, My nurse friend, who's the health ministries leader, her first thing to me was, I'm tired. I work so hard. I have to get up so early. I work so hard as a nurse. How will I have the energy? Well, guess what? God has imparted energy because part of her fatigue was lack of purpose. Your commitment will be tested. You will experience setbacks and failure. You will face obstacles. God will empower you to go forward. Your commitment will empower you. And your commitment will keep you focused when nothing seems to be working. It will give you strength and success. We've made a commitment to love people, haven't we? And isn't it the commitment which drives us to the, to the actual realization of that commitment? It's not because people all of a sudden get nicer. It's because we've made a commitment. This is a Christian principle. We're going to live out this principle if it kills us. God will put it in our hearts. Purpose. Having a purpose will drive you to pray more, unite more, risk more, plan more, observe more. You're going to watch people. You're going to listen for ways that you can get involved in their lives and encourage them because you have a purpose. The purpose is to get them involved. Why? Not to get them to do things for you, but because they're going to get a blessing when they're involved. Sacrifice more and expect more. God has a purpose for you, purposes of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. Number four, team. If you're going to have a team, you have to value people. You have to know what people value. You have to, Evelyn has worked with me on this, worked with me, worked with me. Because Have you enjoyed the lifestyle features that we've done where we do the demos and the little group? That's Evelyn. Me, I'll stand up here all day long and kill you with PowerPoints until you're screaming for mercy. (laughs) Evelyn had to talk to me. Vicki, this is what people like. It's not what, you know, what you're doing is valuable, but they only need one slice of that pie. And so you have to know what it is that people value. Make yourself more valuable. How do we make ourselves more valuable? When you make your, you learn. You learn to read. You learn to present. You know, you, you learn the topic. You take a class. 
Don't cry that you don't know anatomy and physiology. Get a book and read it. And if you read 10 books on a subject, you'll be a world expert. So if you don't know leadership, learn it. If you don't know math, get a book. You know, all of these things, they're available to us. And when you add value to yourself, you are not being selfish. When you take care of your personal health, your divine life, your Bible study, when you read hard topics, when you read something on archaeology or science or history so that you can be more conversational and interesting to other people so that you can win souls and, and be conversant with society, you are adding value to yourself. That is not selfish. That's part of God's plan. We should be people who can converse on a variety of topics, and we should be gaining in intelligence and intellectual capacity. Do the things that God values. Amen? Some things on a team are not contagious. Talent, experience is not contagious, but you can be sure of one thing. Attitude is catching. <laughs> we have three teams. We have three teams, the te and I gave each one of them a leadership book to read, the team leaders, on 21 irrefutable laws uh, of leadership. Beautiful book. And, um, but this one team couple, I noticed when I went to their event, all the people were very tense. They did not look like they were having a nice time. And the leaders uh, uh, were magnet, were, were, were projecting this, and it just trickled down to the entire group. Everyone else, the other two teams, they're happy, they're having fun. If there's a mistake, how can we fix the problem rather than whose fault is this? The focus is on we have a challenge here, let's solve it. And so the, the, this team leader, this number one team leader couple, they actually have voluntarily, um, the way we did it was, um, are you having a challenge? Is your schedule making it challenging for you to? Yes. Well, would you like to um, have us get some assistance for you to, to perhaps step in? And yes, they said. So the Lord solved that problem because, yeah, it doesn't work. You can't have leaders that are sour, sour. When someone on the team is teachable and his humility is rewarded by improvement, Others are more likely to display similar characteristics. When a leader is upbeat in the face of discouraging circumstances, you remember the, one of the little sayings is the, a real leader can hide their panic. <laughs> Others admire that quality and want to be like that person. When a team member displays a strong work ethic and begins to have a positive impact, others <coughs> imitate the, him. There have been times where I've had to step in when everybody was, I can't do that. I'm too busy for that. I can't do that. Okay, I'll do it. And they know that I've got three times as much on my plate in some instances. Okay, fine. You know, I'm happy. I'll do it. Just what can I do to be a blessing? And then you know what happens? The Holy Spirit starts to melt. Because people do reach a limit, and they do have bad weeks, and they do have rough days, and we do need to step in for one another. People have a tendency to adopt the attitudes of those they spend time with, to pick, on their mind, to pick up their mindsets, beliefs, and approaches to challenges. What a great, what a great opportunity it is for us to, to congeal people together. And I believe that that's the atmosphere that the Holy Spirit wants to bless corporately. There's a corporate visitation of the Holy Spirit that God wants to bring. Plan. Determine what it is that you want to accomplish. 
chart your course, break it up into achievable pieces. This is really important. What are we gonna do in the next two months, three months? What are we gonna, what is the plan for within the church? I call that phase one. Within the body of Christ, what is the plan? What objectives do we wanna meet? Phase two, what do we wanna do in cultivating the community interest? Remember, the community, do we think the first time we knock on somebody's door or have a conversation, they're gonna be interested in what we have? It takes an average of six contacts before someone is gonna be interested. So we have very unrealistic expectations. Be flexible, but not weak. Demonstrate a can-do attitude and be prepared. Predetermine your course of action. Lay out your goals. Adjust your priorities because, like a moving target on a hill, you're gonna gain experience and you're gonna to have to readjust what you thought was gonna work. Notify key personnel, this is key. If you forget to tell the people in your sphere what's going on, then somebody's out of the loop. So when I give, uh, send out information, I make sure the pastor gets it, personal ministry secretary, all the team leaders, and the health ministries director. And I make sure that at least once a week or once every other week, I send out something that is very motivational, just a little sentence or a paragraph that I'm praying for them, that I'm excited about. I send out results. Everyone that participates in an event gets a handwritten thank you card, period, no exceptions. The pastor, the health ministries director, all the team leaders, the greeter, it doesn't matter who helped. There was a 10-year-old little boy that helped to, when we changed locations because we grew so fast, he stood in the parking lot and helped people get to the right, but he got a thank you card the next day. Never fail to send a thank you card. They may be deciding they don't want to do this again. And they get that thank you card and they go, wow, you know what, what a blessing, I'm appreciated. Allow time for acceptance. That's huge. <clears throat> Head into action and expect problems. Always point to success and daily review your plan. Yeah. I think this we're going to stop here. It does not take any discipline to dream. Oh, I wish our church was united. Oh, I just wish they were interested in the health message. I wish we could get the community to come. Okay, how are you going to make that wish a reality? What are your plan? What's your plan? It does not take discipline to dream. It takes discipline to make dreams real. This level of commitment divides the concerned from the committed. Okay, we're going to stop here, take a break, and go into our next... Uh, let me see, how many... The results of leadership is pretty short. Do you want to hear this real quick, or do you want to go on your break? You want to go on your break? Okay, yeah, we'll stop. All right, we'll stop here, and then we'll do the next section of our program. Um, but you get, the, you get the picture. Amen? This media was produced by Audioverse for the NAD Health Summit. If you would like to learn more about the NAD Health Summit, please visit www.nadhealthsummit.com or... If you would like to listen to more free online sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.